Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. For me, it was the right fit against the New York Giants. Like, this is, this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network and NorthJersey.com. I am your host, Art Stapleton. It is the morning after of round one of the 2023 NFL Draft. Special thanks to everyone who was at the Coaches Club at MetLife Stadium last night for our special live broadcast of All In. Uh, Our team at the record, obviously, uh, did a great job there. Special thanks again to everyone with the Giants, uh, Pete Gwelly, Jen Escalante, Carrie Bald, uh, really appreciate the hospitality and being able to do our show. For those of you who were there, I hope you really enjoyed it. We had a great time. We did talk more the weekend and last night as a preview. So if you weren't able to watch live, go to the NorthJersey.com YouTube page. You can go back and watch the entire show. You can pick and choose. We had John Schmelk on for almost a half hour. And Sam Prince joined us at about 7.15, 7.20. So the two of them, plus there were fans that came up and asked questions. Uh, We had a great time, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. It's also available on uh, an audio podcast, which is what we traditionally do, and that's on all your favorite podcast platforms. Day two. Well, if you listened to the podcast earlier this week, and we did our Giants-only mock draft on NorthJersey.com. The Giants pick, not at 25, but at 24, Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks. I had him near the top of my list, uh, and we'll get into what transpired for the Giants, why they did what they did, and then we'll give a little look ahead to day two. I'll give you some names to keep an eye on. Uh, for the Giants in round two and round three, potentially, because we know that the Giants have arsenal, as Joe Shane said last night, where if they choose to move up on day two, they will do so. So, Deontay Banks, let's just set the scene. It was kind of crazy how the first round broke, uh, and I go back to what I tweeted earlier this week, and really what I say every year, is that we always hear this guy won't be available and that guy won't be available. And that list goes really up to like 35, 40 players in a first round that goes 32 picks deep. Now, this year was only 31 picks deep because the Dolphins lost their pick because of tampering. Uh, So the league slapped them on the wrist big time. 
uh, took away their first-round pick. So there were 31 picks. The Giants were sitting at 25. Now, if you were really paying attention, you didn't just tune into the NFL draft. The feeling going in was that the cluster of picks right before the Giants, once you got past 20, which was Seattle, and even then, Seattle was right there in the mix, and as it turns out, they jumped in as well on the wide receiver pool. There were no wide receivers taken until Seattle got on the board. And it was Seattle at 20, the Chargers at 21, the Ravens at 22, the Vikings at 23, the Jaguars at 24, and the Giants were at 25. So the board was breaking very well for the Giants. I think part of that was Christian Gonzalez from Oregon dropping at corner. That kind of pushed some of the corners down a little bit. I think Banks may have gone earlier if Gonzalez went in the top 10 the way he was projected to do. Uh, that did not happen. I think Washington taking Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State at 16 certainly threw a little bit of a wrinkle, but there was a lot of intel late Wednesday night and then most of the day Thursday about Washington really liking Forbes. Uh, m better zone corner than press man, which is what the Giants play, and Forbes is a ball hawk. Uh, yes, he's 166 pounds, but his ball skills were elite. So he ends up going second corner off the board. Devin Witherspoon went five overall to Seattle, which was a little bit sooner than what you would expect. And it says something about what Seattle thought of Witherspoon, considering they've done a great job through the years under Pete Carroll and John Schneider of finding cornerbacks in the later rounds, the Richard Shermans of the world. Then obviously last year, Tariq Woolen uh, had an outstanding season, but they go five overall and take Witherspoon. So let's get to where the Giants were sitting. Now, to truly appreciate where the Giants were in that spot, you have to go back to last season. And I've said this all along. We're trying to learn who Joe Shane is as a general manager when it comes to the draft. Uh, last year was his first draft, but the circumstances with last year uh, you know, you're trying to build from scratch, essentially. So you have your guys, plus you're picking in a top 10. So you didn't really need to go deep to find your prospects. And Shane joked last year about how, you know, he kind of had seven names written down and he knew he was getting two of them uh, unless he decided to move. Uh, so you go back to what he said last year, and I think... What struck me is that Joe Shane is not afraid to move up, to move back. And I think, as I said on last night's live podcast, Shane has good relationships that he's built through the years with general managers. And one of the problems with Dave Gettleman was that there wasn't that trust factor. Gettleman didn't trust other people that he could actually negotiate. He had no stomach for it. He wasn't interested in batting back and forth ideas. Where, what would you do? Where would you say? And that really hurt him as a general manager, I believe. Because Gettleman even said that from the first time he took the job, that he was worried about 
calling people, showing your hand, uh, you know, guys who might try to take advantage because you showed your hand too soon. He would never pick up the phone call. We know the whole, you know, when Saquon went number two overall, the the hot pretzel, um, that kind of typified who Gettleman was as a general manager when it came to the draft. That's why when he ended up moving back uh, in... 2021, it was one of those, well, finally, Trader Dave, but it's almost like he took it to another extreme because he wanted to prove that he wasn't what people said. Fast forward to Joe Shane last year, and Joe Shane told us last year, if you remember correctly, the Giants Life series that the Giants put out last year with the behind-the-scenes footage, more behind-the-scenes footage of the Giants last year and the front office the inner workings of the front office than we've ever seen. Shane talked about setting up with teams, spending Thursday talking about trade options. All right, if this is there at when we pick, what do you want to do? Do you want to move up? What will you give us? You know, can, can we come to an agreement uh, or at least have a deal in place if you're interested? And then we'll see how the board comes. And then it makes it easier when you get on the phone and you're on the clock and you look at your board and you can call a team and say, all right, we're ready to do this. We're comfortable. Now, if you remember last year, there were two instances where Shane was shown video where, number one, he had a deal in place with someone that was established prior to the draft that he said, no, we're good, we're going to stay where we're at, and we're going to make our pick. And I believe that was in the first round, as early as the first round, with five and seven. Then there was another instance where they showed Shane reaching out to, it turned out it was the Jets, and the Jets wanted to flip picks in the second round, and the Giants had the deal that they wanted. They wanted to move back, they wanted to get more picks, and they made the trade with the Jets, and the Jets came up and, tra- and drafted Brees Hall. Now, Shane's not worried or concerned that he gave Brees Hall, you know, who had an outstanding start to his rookie year before the ACL, that, oh, I'm going to let the Jets take a guy like this. He didn't take it personally. It, he made the best move what he thought for the Giants. So this week, Shane did the same thing. He called general managers that were around where they were picking, and I'm sure he's done it with the second round and third round. I mean, that's what these guys are doing during the day where all this time that you have to waste before you get out there. So one of the general managers that Joe Shane reached out to was Trent Baalke in Jacksonville, who was picking 24th, one spot ahead of the Giants, to gauge what they were doing. Bulky told him, yeah, we're, we'd be willing to move if the board is where it's at. Maybe we'll move out. And from my understanding, Joe Shane was not the only general manager that Trent Bulky talked to. How do I know that? Well, one pick after they made the trade and Jacksonville went back to 25, they then proceeded to make a trade with the Bills who leapfrogged the Cowboys to get to 25. So Jacksonville moved down twice. When a team moves down twice, that means they're on the phones looking to get rid of that pick. And Joe Shane knew this. So you go into the draft, two hours into the draft last night, and you're getting into the scenarios where 
everybody knew, at least everybody thought they knew, that there were teams in that cluster that were eyeing players of similar caliber, similar grades, the assumption was, at wide receiver and cornerback. You had Seattle, the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Vikings. So when the first wide receiver went off the board to Seattle in Jackson Smith and the Jigba, it was almost like, okay, he fell. This is where he sits. He's in Seattle. Then you go to 21 and the Chargers. Now, there was a feeling that they might go with Zay Flowers. He was mocked there a lot. They didn't. They went the opposite. They went Quentin Johnston from TCU. Big receiver. Does remind me a little bit of Mike Williams. A little bit more development needed. So you know that's the kind of receiver that the Chargers like. You get to 22 now, and now it's a a run of three straight wide receivers. Zay Flowers goes to Baltimore. So now the Vikings are on the clock, and you know that they're looking corner or wide receiver. That was the feeling around the league. You could only go off of the intel that you're able to glean. And Shane showed last year that he has a lot of relationships in this league, working his way up. He has a lot of respect from people from a lot of different teams. Uh, And that's different to operate that way. You know, the last two general managers that the Giants have had, Jerry Reese had respect, but Jerry Reese wanted to do his own thing. Jerry Reese never traded. And as I detailed with Dave Gettleman, Dave Gettleman was always fearful of showing his hand. And by doing that, he actually showed his hand too much, uh, but not in the right way. So here's the deal. I don't believe, judging by what I've heard and what Shane said after the press conference last night, once Deontay Banks became the Giants pick, that they were picking wide receivers, and then when the wide receivers went off the board, I've seen this on social media, that that they panicked and they took Deontay Banks. Now, here's how I see it. The Giants had a cluster of first-round picks, of first-round grades on guys. Where What was the number? Was it 23 first-round grades, 24, 25, 20, whatever it was? They still had a cluster of five guys on their board when it turned to 20 in Seattle, took JSN. When they started getting picked off one by one, those were the wide receivers, those were the players with first-round grades. So you're sitting there, and you're Joe Shane, and you're Brian Dable, and, and everyone else in the Giants draft room. You see your first-round guys start picking off. You, you sit at 25, you may be stuck with someone who's a borderline first-round grade, second-round grade for your guy. Now you're forcing a pick when, at that point, they knew they had the trade there with Jacksonville. Fifth-round pick and a seventh-round pick. Throw the seventh-round pick out. They have three seventh-rounders on a team that is not necessarily looking to load up on you know, 10 rookies. And I told you this at the beginning of the week. They're not looking to add 10 players to this team. You know, this team, with what they did last year, they have a lot of young players coming back from injury. They want to find places for these guys on this 53-man roster. So as much as they're still rebuilding, they need to rebuild in a different way this year. 
So you're sitting there at 25 and you're Joe Shane, and now the Vikings take Jordan Addison. Now you're sitting with Jacksonville, the team that you spoke to at 24. You know they're looking to deal out. You know that there are teams behind you looking to come up. You know the premium position is there at corner where Joey Porter Jr. and Deontay Banks are available. Those guys were viewed as top four guys, right, at corner. Forbes was kind of the outlier because you didn't know where teams would view him. You get to a point, and you're Joe Shane, if you sit there and do nothing and say, I am not giving up any assets, I'm going to sit where I'm at, and then I will pick who I want to pick. If somebody comes up to 24 to get Deontay Banks, which was possible, you're in that situation. Now you're at 25. Now you might be taking a player that is not as closely graded as you think. Now, there was this idea that Joey Porter Jr. For, for Penn State is a better player than Deontay Banks. I think that's as much name recognition as anything else. Uh, you heard last night when we did our show, John Schmelk talked about, you know, there were things coming out about Joey Porter, not personally, but in terms of his athletic makeup, that he was a good outside receiver, good boundary corner, but did not have the athletic skills, did not necessarily have the traits like a Banks did. And I had, I had heard that. It's Look, it's different flavors. You know, could the Giants have liked Joey Porter the same way? Put it this way. If Joey Porter and Deontay Banks had similar grades for the Giants, I don't believe they make that deal in that spot. I don't think they get up to 24. I think what they told you is that Deontay Banks was essentially their last first-round guy, the first-round grade that they had. That doesn't mean they wouldn't have picked a guy at 25 if they sat there, but they wouldn't necessarily have felt comfortable. Shane made a point. I asked him about the premium positions, and he talked about how cornerback is one of those that the salaries on the open market continue to ascend. So when you're looking to take players in premium picks, you're looking to take guys that you can have under cost control on a rookie contract five years, four years plus an option, or four years when you move into day two and day three. So Shane made the call. They got Deontay Banks. Obviously, you've seen the video by now. I assume if you haven't, check it out. Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator for the Giants, was ecstatic. He's seen hugging Joe Shane, kind of big bear hugs. I mean, well, not for anything, just as a tangent. How about those bear hugs last night for Roger Goodell? And I think he might be in traction with his back today at some point in, uh, in Bronxville, New York, if he flew back from Kansas City. Anyway... Deontay Banks is the pick for the Giants. Uh, I like the player. I think he opened a lot of eyes against Ohio State last year, uh, which he held Marvin Harrison Jr. to five catches for 68 yards, competed, kept him out of the end zone. Uh, that was one of those situations where Marvin Harrison every week, I mean, if you watched Ohio State, it was a highlight reel for Harrison seemingly on every offensive possession for C.J. Stroud and the Buckeyes. Uh, I think Joe Shane made a point last night. He credited his scouting staff that last summer, Banks was coming off a shoulder injury, so he didn't have a lot of tape from the previous year, that his scouts right from the beginning 
said that we need to be boots on the ground and watch Deontay Banks and how he develops because he's a guy who could fit in our system. We like him, and he's a guy who, come draft time, they projected January, February when the evaluation started that Banks might be a guy that's on their radar. And they did a lot of work on Banks. Banks said last night in our conference call uh, that – you know, he went to dinner with the Giants. I assume that was before Pro Day, but it also may have been for his 30 visit. Uh, he met a lot uh, with Wink, with Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach for the Giants. We know how much the Giants value Jerome Henderson and obviously the voice of Wink Martindale, the two of them moving together. Where does that leave Banks? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that he is going to compete and likely uh, be given a huge opportunity to start on the outside. One of the things I asked Joe Shane last night, and this really goes back to you know a couple of years ago, we know the Giants had the problems with DeAndre Baker. The way that panned out, they drafted Sam Beal in the supplemental round, uh, round, and that failed. There was this feeling, you know, really five years ago, that the difficulty of drafting a young corner and putting them into the lineup. that That's one of the hardest reads to get when you look at making that transition because you just don't know how that scheme will translate. And there was that feeling that you would prefer getting veteran corners or guys that are established in the league versus rookies. I think that perception changed last year. And what Sauce Gardner did with the Jets... Tariq Woolen, I mentioned, with the Seahawks. You know, you've got these guys that if they're talented enough, you think you can make that transition early on. And those guys were confident. They played well. They were great fits. Uh, obviously, Sauce in the top five. And then Woolen, where he was, two guys who are up for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Sauce ends up winning it. But I think the Giants view Banks as a, an ascending player. I think they love his traits. He blew up at the combine. And I think they're comfortable putting him on the outside and say, all right, here we go. We got a guy under under control, under contract, and let's develop him and see how he performs. He's certainly a guy who does not back down from competition. Like I said, going up against Ohio State, uh, he's, he saw a lot of competition last season with Maryland in the Big Ten. So I think it's a great pick. I told you that earlier this week. This isn't hindsight. I had Deontay Banks as my pick for the Giants on Wednesday. I didn't know if he was going to be there at 25. As it turns out, they moved up to 24. But I think uh, I think it's a good pick for the Giants. It's a good start. I think Shane sent the message that he's willing to give up assets uh, in a calculated way in order to be able to get the player that he wants and not reach for somebody that, you know, might not be that fit. And what I find hard to believe is that there are actually Giants fans who are still upset about what happened in the year with Leonard Floyd uh, and, you know, they got leapfrog twice and then they ended up taking Eli Apple out of, out of you know 
not so much panic, but a little desperation. They reached down their board, took Eli Apple. We know how that happened. Then, of course, the year, Dave Gettleman's final year uh, with the Eagles leapfrogging the Giants to get Devontae Smith. You know, you you would have assumed that year that the Eagles and Cowboys are not going to trade. They did. Uh, so if they really wanted Devontae Smith, they should have moved up uh, to be able to make sure that that didn't happen. The Giants chose to not do that. Obviously, we know what happened after the fact. They ended up trading with Chicago, got that first-round pick. I think they made a good deal for the pick, but not the player that they selected with Kadarius Toney. That did not work out. Uh, but then, of course, Shane recouped uh, some assets by dealing Tony and then used one of those assets in the third round from Kansas City to get Darren Waller here. And now the big things are expected from Darren Waller. So where do the Giants go next? Let's go day two. I'll give you my list. I have a list and I'll have analysis of where the first round stands and what the Giants might be looking at on day two. And that goes round two and round three. And I think, you know, when you look at what's available and see, okay, the Giants are looking at this position, that position. I think what Joe Shane told you last night is that he is not going to reach for players just because they're they're in need. And I think that's a good thing for the Giants to know. I think there are fans who want that to be the case. So, all right, here's some of the players that I would look at. Number one, I would look at the wide receiver that I mentioned in my mock draft that I gave to the Giants. That's Oklahoma's Marvin Mims. Uh, as you heard the other day when I talked to Travis May from Mojo, he liked him a lot. And I know the Giants have visited with Mims. I can tell you they like him very much. Uh, it's just a matter of how calculated they will be in terms of trying to get Mims and if he's at the top of their board value-wise. Another receiver to keep an eye on is Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss. You know, it's hard to get a read if the wide receivers got pushed back last night into the 20s. Does that mean that on day two and day three, the wide receiver class will be pushed further? Or do you believe that the wide receivers that are still on the board are a lot closer in value to that first group? So you might see them go off earlier on Friday. That's something that I think Shane and the Giants have to get a read on to see uh, what the situation is uh, when that comes. So I'd say Mims and Mingo are two receivers. Uh, if you go to the third round, I think A.T. Perry from Wake Forest is somebody that you would keep an eye on as far as receivers go. You know, you've got a bunch of different guys that I'm not sure how the Giants feel about them. Cedric Tillman from Tennessee uh, is one of them. I think, uh, you know, you've got to make a decision based on what your board is telling you. And I think the Giants end up with a wide receiver on Friday. As I said the other day, I think it's Mims. Uh, so we'll see if that turns out to be uh, the case. Giants could go to center. All that talk about a center being at 25 
still on the board. John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. I think you got to watch the Jets there at 43 to take a center. At least that's been the the talk around the league. Uh, Joe Tipman from Wisconsin is there. I think if you kind of drift towards the third round, uh, Arkansas's Ricky Stromberg is there. I like Stromberg later. I, again, I would go wide receiver in round two if Mims is there. I like Mingo too, so either Mims or Mingo would be my pick there. Uh, you could look for a guy like Cody Mock, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman for North Dakota State. I know the Giants like him. Uh, edge players. I think B.J. Ojolari is there. You have to consider him. Giants liked him at the combine. I can tell you that. Uh, Keon White is somebody that the Giants have done homework on. He could be a guy that that emerges. Uh, here's one for you. Drew Sanders, Arkansas linebacker. Uh, I'd almost call him Mar- Micah Parsons light. You know, nobody's Micah Parsons. This, uh, But the style with which... Dallas is using Micah Parsons, could play inside, could play as a rusher. Sanders is that kind of profile. I think that would be a tremendous fit next to Bobby Okereke uh, in the middle of Wink Martindale's defense. I'm just not sure how the Giants feel, um, you know, how you start comparing positions. I don't think Joe Shane is going in saying we need to get a wide receiver. I think he's going in saying we need to take great value at the top of our board. If the value matches the need, and I know it's cliche, then they make the move up. And you got to remember, the Giants were operating off of their board and not a board that we've created. So if they see, like they saw in round one, they had, let's just say, five players with first-round grades, and they started getting ticked off, and you only saw... You know, one or two left with strong first-round grades. That's when you make a move to make sure you get that value. Uh, and they do have assets to use. Uh, I think there is a possibility if veterans are available at some point uh, on other teams that maybe shake free on day two that are dangled out there. That maybe Shane considers that uh, at other positions. But now that they got their corner uh, in Banks. I think uh, I think they're kind of set at that position for now, for the beginning part of the draft. They may take another corner, uh, it's more of a slot nickel guy. There are some guys out there that they like, uh, so we'll see what happens. A guy I like is Brian Branch from Alabama. Reminds me a lot of how Xavier McKinney s- slid to the top of the second round. I think Branch will be one of the first players taken off the board. If not, and he's there in the mix for the Giants, I think they'll uh, they'll definitely give him serious consideration. Uh, for the third round, linebacker Dayon Henley, Washington State. Love him. Did a great job. Uh, he came here on a visit. I know they like him. Uh, we talked about Michael Mayer from Notre Dame last night on the show with John and Sam. I don't see the Giants going tight end. I think they like what they have right now. And Darren Waller, uh, Daniel Bellinger going into his second year, uh, Tommy Sweeney, Lawrence Cager. I mean, I think they're pretty good at tight end. When you compare to last year, they're a tremendous upgrade at that position. But again, if Mayer is sitting there at 57, which is when the Giants are scheduled to pick in the second round, I think they would seriously consider him. Uh, And then, you know, Maybe the, de- 
the defensive tackle uh, from Northwestern, and I should I should be able to pronounce his name and shouldn't have to come on the show without pronouncing it, but I'm going to give it a shot. Adamiwa Adabawari. There were some people who thought he might be able to go in the first round. He did not. Uh, so he's still out there on the board. Interior defensive line is a spot where, like corner, those salaries are ascending. Like Shane said last night, we know what Dexter Lawrence is going to get paid. Uh, we know what the cap number is for Leonard Williams. Uh, obviously, A. Sean Robinson, if he comes and plays well in that one-year contract, Giants may look to re-sign him down the road. So they would love a cost-controlled interior def- defensive lineman to play with those guys in addition to guys they have like DJ Davidson and uh, Ryder Anderson, uh, but guys who are more more so better off in a reserve role right now as this team continues to grow. So that's where we're at. I uh, Again, I hope you guys enjoyed the live broadcast on Thursday, and if – you didn't get a chance. I would give it another. I'd give it a look, give it a listen, obviously. But I think you'll enjoy it regardless. A lot of things we said played out, came to fruition. We also talked about the entire weekend in general and philosophies. So it wasn't just a draft preview for the first round. It was a draft preview for the entire, uh, the entire draft. So I still think it's not outdated. Uh, even though the first round is complete. So make sure you check all of my coverage on NorthJersey.com throughout the weekend. Uh, We'll have everything covered. We'll be back at the facility on Friday afternoon for Deontay Banks' introductory press conference. And then we've got round two and round three, which begins at 7 o'clock. Then all day Saturday, we're going to have picks analysis, features, columns, and draft grades at the end of it. Uh, not necessarily drafting. It's it's an instant analysis, not necessarily an overall draft grade because draft grades, you know, we have to see how things play out two, three years down the line. So it's an instant analysis as to why they made the pick and how that player fits as far as a grade goes, not necessarily a this is exactly what's going to be for the next four or five years. So as I said last night, We continue to be all in with our coverage across the board with the New York Giants and the NFL, and we appreciate you being all in as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you with instant analysis podcasts, instant reaction uh, throughout the weekend, and then next week we will move on and reset and get ready for the month of May, which is OTAs and heading towards the mandatory minicamp in June to see what happens with Saquon Barkley, Dexter Lawrence, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So again, thanks for listening. Enjoy the second round of the draft, or second day of the draft, and we'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.